You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Worship Review. I am Colin and I am a history professor at a somewhat large research university in the Midwest, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler. I am a graduate student at the same institution, and I'm very happy to be here with Colin and uh, taking a look at another song. You're a grad student in what? Trampoline? Fencing? That's right. I'm getting a PhD in underwater basket weaving. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I study, I actually study language and particularly the the languages of Northern and Western Europe. Tyler is a very handy guy to have on a podcast. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to go back through some of the back episodes and listen to some of Tyler's analyses. Today, we are looking at the song Goodness of God by Bethel Music. We ask the same questions of every song, and yet these questions allow us to get into the individual nuances in each song as well, I think pretty decently. So we're going to be asking about the content and context, that is, who or what the song is about. We're going to be looking at the actions that happen in the song, what what actually goes on in the song. And then the third thing that we look at are issues of clarity, is the song consistent? Is it coherent? Is it clear? And then we give a recommendation and we give a rating out of five, but we don't tell each other the metric that we use. It always ends up a little bit interesting. Yeah. It's always out of five, but it's not always the same thing that it's out of five. Although it has been before. (laughs) Yes, We, We were both thinking about Stephen Furtick at one point. And to be clear, we don't talk about anything before the no. podcast not just that number but we don't we don't actually mention what we think of the content or the context or the no. action or anything like that no. this is all off the cuff that's right okay so speaking of off the cuff tyler let me ask you some questions right away first of all what is this song about goodness of god is about the believer reflecting upon god's goodness in his or her life expressing his or her love for god and recounting all of the reasons why he or she loves God. So, this song tells us that throughout the life of the believer and the singer, God has been faithful and good. It tells us that the singer has been through fire, the singer has been through the darkest night, and that God has been present throughout that. I would say we see some similar tropes that we've seen in other songs. Okay, like like what? So, for example, uh, recall from a song like 10,000 Reasons, um, the 
idea that we are to sing praise from the moment the sun comes up to the mm-hmm. moment the sun goes down. In this song, we see we're to sing praise from the moment we rise to the moment we sleep. Mm-hmm. Very similar theme and also very biblical theme. Yeah, definitely. Um, another trope I would say we see is um, the so, so good to me that we saw in Reckless Love by mm-hmm. um, Asbury. Um, we have essentially the same wording here too. Yeah, there are some similarities between this song and a couple of other songs, not just with the idea of goodness, but yeah, just even the the verse structures and stuff and Reckless Love was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. This song is certainly for God. It's addressed to him. You have the second person pronoun throughout it. You have been this, you have been that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a song for God so that he would hear the praise of the believer the praise of his attributes as we express love to him. Mm-hmm. But it's also for the believer okay. to recount these things, remind oneself um, who it is that the believer loves and why. Yeah, there is a point also where the individual that's singing takes over in the bridge. There's a point where the singer stops singing about what God is doing, which the singer is definitely doing through most of the song. And then there's this comment about the singer laying down their life, surrendering and giving you, which is God, giving God everything. So apart from that, I would say I agree with you that this is an individual singing to God about his goodness, his faithfulness, his closeness, that God has always been good. And I think that's what is trying to be communicated in that first verse by the description of always being held in God's hands from the moment that the person wakes up until they lay their head. There are a lot of descriptors about God as well. So God is described as uh, having unfailing mercy, as holding the singer or the worshiper in his hands as being faithful. There's also a bit in here about God being close. Mm-hmm. So a kind of nearness, which is something we do see in scripture for sure in the Psalms. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And now I have lived in the goodness of God. Verse 2, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest nights. You are close like no other. And then I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. So lots of stuff in here about about God. Can I um, respond to the first thing that you said about Uh praising God's attributes? I would say certainly that's intended. Um, but I actually have to disagree. Okay. Uh, the attribute of God's faithfulness is not um, praised in say, right, in and of itself. It's it's praised in a context. Okay. So um, Fair it's point. not your love is unfailing or your mercy is unfailing. It's your mercy has never failed me. Your mercy never fails me. Or um, 
not you are faithful, but you have been faithful to me. Um, so if anyone thinks I'm making a, a minute distinction that doesn't matter, I would respond by saying this is not a minute distinction. It does matter because praising God for his attributes is different than praising someone for a specific yes. thing that they have done. Are you saying that the the individual focus, the to me language in here, is focusing on a specific individual action of God and not like an attribute of God that is generally true. It's focusing on a, a, an experience of God's attribute, a subjective experience of God's attribute, or are you saying something else? I wish I could say that they were being described in a certain instance with God's action. We have some of God's actions, like leading me through the fire in this song, but in general, we have God's faithfulness and it passes through the filter of the person. Okay. So, it, my life, all yes. my days, to me, for me, yes. we have this filtration process by which we reach the end praise, the the praise that has passed through the filter of the self mm-hmm. um, is now offered up. That's that's the distinction that I'm yes. trying to make. Okay, and that's important. Tyler, where do you think that this creates some trouble? What are, what are some issues that arise because of this? There's certainly no issue in describing how God has been faithful in my life. That is certainly biblical. We, we do see that all throughout the Psalms. But if the emphasis is consistently and um, incessantly on the individual experience— Which it is in this song. It is. It loses its applicability to the lives of others. Mm-hmm. So say, for example, I assert— all my life you have been faithful. That's a beautiful thing, right? Mm-hmm. But if all I am talking about is God in in my life, it cannot necessarily translate to the life of someone else. In fact, mm-hmm. it can also be refuted on the basis of my individual experience too. If I can affirm it on the basis of this, I can also mm-hmm. refute it on that basis. Mm-hmm. But God's attribute of faithfulness cannot be by, by contrast, God's attribute of faithfulness cannot be refuted because I don't feel like he's being faithful in the moment. Does that right. make or sense? Or because you don't necessarily experience his faithfulness in a way that is comprehensible to you. Right. Subjectively. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, that makes me think about a song that we gave a lot of high marks to, and it'd be useful to talk about the difference. Because a song like In Christ Alone, we that is a song about an individual. There's not a well, okay, let me let me rephrase that. In Christ Alone is a song an individual is singing. In Christ Alone, my hope is found. Not in Christ Alone, our hope is found. First and person singular. The worshiper in the song is an individual. I don't think there really is any mention of the body in that song. We have expressed concern over some songs which have otherwise been decent, but have not had a corporate component. I wonder what makes In Christ Alone different than this song. I mean, I have a thought, but I wonder if you... I have a preliminary... Yeah, what's um, your preliminary thought? ...idea. That would be that In Christ Alone certainly talks about the individual's subjective experience, but it also names things outside of the individual that can be pointed to by others. And so when I say, um, In Christ Alone, my hope is found. Okay, I am saying something about myself. Mm-hmm. Where is my hope? Oh, it's in Christ. And then I'm explaining that by pointing to things outside of myself. Yeah. 
in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, the second verse or the third verse, um, there in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, he rose again. This isn't a thought experiment that's in my head. This is something that happened and is extremely consequential for me and for all the other people on earth. What is happening in the song, Tyler? Surprisingly little happens that is an action. Can I yeah. can I say what I mean by that? Yeah, please. Um often in English as a second language class, you have to learn the distinction between verbs of state or stative verbs and dynamic verbs. By stative um, verbs, do you mean like verbs of being? Yes, it's state of being, state of mind, state of heart, status. And dynamic verbs denote action um, in the world, things that affect change in the world around. So, for example, um, a stative verb would be something like to be. I am a doctor. Um, Or to know. I know a doctor. Um, Or need. (laughs) I need a doctor. Um, And there's a clever trick that any uh, native speaker of English can use to determine which one is which. Sometimes they're both, but which one is which. And that is, if you cannot say, I am Xing, if you cannot use the present progressive, okay. then you know it's a state of verb. So, I am a doctor. But you wouldn't say, oh, what are you? Oh, I am being a doctor. Because then it sounds like a dynamic verb, like you're putting on a performance. Yeah. Or, um, oh, um, you can say she needs a doctor. But you, if you know she's having a heart attack, you don't say, she's needing a doctor, right? So, yeah. that's how you can tell the difference. Um, and so in this in this song, there is a very heavy proportion of stative verbs to dynamic verbs. For example, for example, um, love. I love you, Lord. I love your voice. Um, to be, um, all my life, you have been faithful. You have been so, so good with every breath that I am mm. able. You are close like no other. Another state of verb, no. I have known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. Another state of verb, live. I have lived in the goodness of God. Um, that one's probably both stative and dynamic. Um, by contrast, there are few dynamic verbs like um, fail. Your mercy never fails me. Um, we have the verb pair wake and lay. Um, from the moment I wake up until I lay my head. Um, singing, I will sing of the goodness of God. Lead, you have led me through the fire. And hold, I have been held in your hands. That might also be stative, but... We have this heavy emphasis on um, on verbs of status and little to no examples of how that state has been reached or why these stative things are true mm-hmm. of the singer. So, in general, the love and thus the praise is conditioned on some sort of first-person perceiver's um, thoughts and experience and, and not necessarily upon God's inherent 
character. And and if I and I say it's conditioned, I really mean that. Um, and the singer <laughs> makes this very clear when they say, "I love you, Lord." For right, there's uh-huh. a conjunction yeah. there. Yeah. For your mercy never fails me. That's why I love you. Not because you have unfailing mercy or you are right. unfailingly merciful or um, you are you are good and I cannot even plumb the depths of your goodness. It's, you've been really good to me throughout my life. I love you. Right. Which again is a totally reasonable thing to say to God. But the reason why that distinction is important is because these are songs that are sung in a corporate setting. So it's one thing to talk about the objective experiences of God that we, the body, or I, the individual, may experience, but they're still out there and objective, and we're kind of describing them or talking about them or sort of receiving them. It's a different thing to describe those external things mediated through our own experience, our own subjective experience. Yeah. Can I make a another reference to in Christ alone, yeah. which does this well. It has both the stative verbs, like I am his, he is mine, mm-hmm. and also has these dynamic verbs. And the stative verbs um, are predicated upon the dynamic <laughs> verbs. They, they rely on these actions <laughs> right. in history and also in the individual's conversion to set it up to the point where at the end of the song, you can say, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand for I am his and he is mine bought. I am bought with mm-hmm. the precious blood of Christ. I mm-hmm. think we have the whole actions in the second verse and in the third verse that lead us to being able to say this. Whereas in this song, um, Goodness of God, certainly we're praising good things about God. He has been faithful mm-hmm. to me. He has held me in his hand, mm-hmm. but it's not set up on a bedrock of any action that is perceptible to an outsider. I love your voice. You will Verse 2 says, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest nights. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. Some of that verse makes sense to me in that there are several passages in scripture where God talks about leading the individual through the fire. Isaiah 43, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful chapter of scripture. God talks about passing, you know, when you pass through the waters, I'll be there through the flames, you know, and he just goes through, it makes all these promises about how he's going to protect Israel. Uh, And of course, then we see aspects of that fulfilled in Daniel chapter three, right? Yeah, exactly. When God protects those, um, those men through the fire. So I get that. I get why scripture talks about through the fire. I wonder what it means in this context. Fire is kind of one of those things that shows up in worship songs and it shows up again here. And I'm wondering what this person means by through the fire presumably through trials in life or something like that. I think it has to be the fire of the troubles of life. I don't mm-hmm. think it's 
um, the fire of God's refining of the individual or the mm-hmm. sanctification process. Yeah, that's true, because that's the other way that fire is described, as purifying metal, mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, helping identify the dross in mm-hmm. gold or silver. Or God is the consuming fire. Yeah, yeah. So it's through the fire, and then in darkest nights, which again we can, I think, assume is, again, some reference to, like, difficult times, probably. Is it temptation? Is it loneliness? What yeah. happened in what happens in dark nights? Fear? Maybe. Yeah, fear. It's tough to say. The voice is there, so maybe it's a maybe it's loneliness. But it's not entirely it's not entirely clear. And the the remedy to this seems to be that that God is speaking and then also that God is close like no other. And then the Song mentions two ways, presumably, to describe God's closeness. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. So these are, of course, close relationships but it does i'm not sure if father and friend are meant to relate at all to the first part i love your voice you have led me through the fire and darkest nights so there's just a couple of different metaphors just kind of flung out there which again none of them are particularly bad and i don't think they necessarily contradict each other but none of it is exactly explained and if if i could i don't want to beat a dead horse but um our Father, when we, when the Lord begins the Lord's Prayer with our Father, he's asserting that God is our Father. When I say, I've known you as a Father, I'm saying, you've been like a Father to me, which isn't yes. the same thing. It's a comparison. That's it's true. It's as or different. like. That's right. Um, or you've been a Father. You, you are my Father. You are my friend mm-hmm. um, in nights of trouble, in the hour of need. Um, not I've known you as a friend. That's so interesting how just that one, just the as like, right? Does that make, is, what is it, a simile? A simile? Yeah, that makes it a simile, mm-hmm. which it distances. Is, it, 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 and it under, it actually, um, it understates that relationship because it makes it a comparative. But those are actual, those are concrete ways that God, those are ways we relate to God. Mm-hmm. That's what he says in scripture. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not, um, those aren't just metaphors. Like we are friends of God. Mm-hmm. God is our father. Mm-hmm. Not like a father, not as a father, not as a friend. Yeah. In fact, he is, he is the father in a perfect way that no other father could right. ever be. And so to say, I've known you as a father implies there, there are these other fathers around that you kind of remind me of, um, rather than their their fatherliness is a is a poor echo yeah. of your divine fatherliness yeah. or like a friend god is faithful like a he's he's he, you know friends will betray you they will yeah. they will make mistakes etc but god is steadfast he is the friend christ is the friend who sticks closer than the right. brother right? right a friend of sinners yes right exactly so again it, it 
It's not intrinsically bad. To, it's not horrible to say as a father or as a friend, but neither is it as good as it could be, mm-hmm. I suppose. Which is interesting because this song seems to be something of a love song. It takes on these motifs of the love song. But then it also holds God at arm's length in these strange ways where you'd expect it to be v- more direct yeah. with God. I suppose one other thing you could say about the action is there is a in the bridge we do see the goodness of god running after so that does get into one of those dynamic verbs that you talked about mm-hmm. and it this also reminded me of reckless love yeah yeah very much so chases me down yeah absolutely Fights till i'm found Again. which is beautiful it's yeah. christian it's yeah. <laughs> it's biblical Part of the bridge that says, with my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. So this is the moment in the song where the individual has been largely describing the attributes of God as they are experienced by the individual, although without detail. And now the individual is talking about what they're doing or what they, what they have, what, what, it's kind of a weird, what, what kind of tense is this? It's like a present. So I think it's a state of being surrendered. I am surrendered, implying I have surrendered. Okay. And then present, simple, I I give. Yeah. So we have these verbs, which a couple of which are just, or we have these three phrases With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now, I give you everything. So two things that have happened and one thing that's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. And the the universal quantifier everything can't be understood as a universal (laughs) quantifier here, right? Yeah, I don't think so. It has to be, I give you everything in the sense, I give you everything about me or all of my, all of my, you know, my, my ambitions and aspirations. I lay it all down at the... I have moment. laid it down, right? <laughs> okay. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm I guess confused. Not, no. <laughs> I'm my surrendered life, implies I've already done that. Down. Yeah, I guess that's true. If the person is surrendered, what can they still give? I do not know. I Colin. don't know. That is interesting. They've, They've already laid down their life, and they're but there's more to give because yeah. they give you everything. I mean, I think we can just chalk this up to strange grammar. Sure. Yeah, this, like... We don't, I don't want to. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't th- I think they just kind of. Um, I actually, yeah, I did think actually some of this song was kind of lazily, um, a bit lazy, but, and this is kind of one of those parts. But is this the conversion moment for the singer, or is this, um, you know, a moment where after many years in the Christian life, you have a- an experience where you want to rededicate your life to yeah. Christ or something? It's tough to know because. It does seem to imply, other parts of the song imply God's ongoing work in the past, that God has been doing things in the past, and then the person is almost re-surrendering, which, which also, by the way, is, I mean, we, can, we don't have to get doing a whole thing like the altar call like we did with another song, but like, that is another part of the, 
I don't. If you don't believe that once God has you, He has you, then you kind of do need to rededicate yourself every so often. <laughs> like, sure. Like just because you said the prayer and you know invited Jesus into that Jesus-shaped hole in your heart doesn't mean that you're always okay, mm-hmm. right? What do you do if you go through a year of university where you binge drank a bunch and you know did some other things? Well, you need to you need to go back and rededicate your life. And maybe even get saved again, as it were. I also think it's important to consider the context in which this song will be sung. If you think of Bethel Church, for example, they are very interested in um, highly emotionally charged moments in their worship services. And I think this song accomplishes that very well, if that's what you want to accomplish. Yeah. I'd like to talk a bit more about the clarity of this song. It's clear what's intended. What's intended is you have been faithful and good to me, and I love you. But I find the implementation of the songwriter's desires for this song to be a bit murky at times. Uh, What I mean is something like the sentence fragment, um, with every breath I'm able. There's a a verb missing there. And sure, that sounds like I'm being um, picky and snobbish, and that's not how I want to come across. But it's it is it sets me up to be a little bit more confused than I normally would be. Um, it's obvious that what's meant there is I'm able to draw or I'm able to breathe, um, but it's not clear. It's a tricky song in terms of clarity and coherence because I didn't see anything here that I that is outrageous. It's so broad in places in most of the song that it's also hard to say that it says too much either. Yeah. And unmoored from specific examples, the closest thing we have to to specific actions is, you have led me through the fire. Now, that's a specific action, but it's also quite vague still. Yeah. So, what is the fire? Yeah. What did he lead you through exactly? And how? Yeah. Like, take, for example, something like, um, oh, something like Psalm 145, 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them food in due season. Verse 16, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. These are specific. These are, there's no room for questioning. You don't end a line and go, what did it mean by you give them food in due season? I can't, I cannot piece this together in my head. It's actually much simpler because it's more specific. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so it doesn't really – and this is one of those things, again, this may seem nitpicky to some people, but the question is, like, should we just say of a song, okay, well, it doesn't have anything horrible in it. You know, it doesn't contradict scripture, so it's okay. But shouldn't we have a standard for songs that's that demands that they at least affirm specific things in scripture, if not – directly employ scripture or certainly, you know, language that's very close to scripture. Like scripture says everything that this, most of the things that this song says, but then scripture explains itself yeah, and gives itself, fills in the gaps. And it just is interesting to me that there are a lot of worship songs that just don't take that step. And I don't understand mm-hmm. why they don't do that. Yeah. That's a good question. I'd love to I'd love to know the answer to that. It's a question of where you set the bar. Is the bar in a place where you have to jump to get over it 
Or is it like one of those video games where the screen moves from left to right and your little character has to avoid messing up? It's it's a very different experience. Is it so, do I have to say something that is true and relevant and uh, meaningful about God or do I just have to not say things that are false, irrelevant and meaningless yeah. about God? Yeah. It's an important question. Yeah. Well, I think it's something that we should continue to think about as we we do these songs because it seems to me that the more of these that I do I'm realizing that my standard is obviously is is a bit higher in that I think I expect songs to not just not get things wrong but to get things explicitly right mm-hmm. again otherwise why don't we just use scripture in in some way yeah, and there has to be a, a a middle ground somewhere, or maybe not a middle ground. There has to be a realm where scriptural accuracy and truth about God and good musicianship can yeah. intersect. Like, I don't think you or I are against, like, even in a, I think a good sermon will, of course, amplify the word of God or illustrate the word of God through contemporary language. Absolutely. So there's nothing wrong with worship songs doing that, but you don't have to abandon the meat, as it were. Hmm. You don't have to abandon the detail to do that. It's like all icing and no cake for your cupcake. You ever had a cupcake like that? (laughs) I I hate cupcakes like that. I can't abide. I'm actually not a big frosting person. I I like usually scrape off half the frosting on a cupcake. There you go. You're consistent. Um, (laughs) One one other thing I was thinking about as I was reading the lyrics to the song is certainly I would say it's, it's important and good for us to um, confess our love for God um, and declare our love to God. But if you look at the Psalms and how the word love in particular is used, um, it's almost always about God's love for us. It's praising God for God's love. So I have, I have 20 examples. I won't go through them all, but I'll give, I'll give, I'll give two. Psalm 5710, for great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Or Psalm 143.8, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Um, certainly our love is important, but certainly God's love is yeah. greater and even more important for Definitely. us to praise him for. Definitely. Yep. Tyler, um, in churches that... that you know, would do a song like this? Do, do you, would you recommend uh, a church do this song corporately? I would not suggest singing this song in congregational worship. What about you, Colin? Uh, so for me, if I'm leading worship, the song doesn't get done. I, I would steer away. There, there, there are just far better songs yeah. than this song. And, you know, so for example, Thy Mercy, My God, I think is a song which gets this across. So this, I think we've recommended this one before, you know, as an alternative. So 18th century, mid 19th century, excuse me, hymn that was brought to life by Sandra McCracken, Indelible Grace. But listen to, listen to these words, Tyler. Uh, Thy free grace alone from the first to the last hath won my affections and bound my soul fast. So instead of just talking vaguely about the goodness of God, we see explicitly what it is. It's free grace. It's only free grace. And then from the first to the last. So we also have the language there that we see in this song, right? About from the 
whatever they said from the morning to when I lay down my head. And it's won my affection. So again, it's the goodness of God. It's the free grace of God that has, is so great that it has won the person's love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's won the person's adoration. And it's not only done that, it's bound mm-hmm. my soul. In other words, it's tied my soul to Christ. So again, whereas this song has some, based on the bridge, has some elements of maybe rededication, this Thy Mercy My God is saying, no, the free grace of God binds us, hmm. which I think really echoes language in scripture about being sealed, for example. Bound fast. Yeah, even. exactly. Uh, and the other, you know, the other line in that song, I think, that just maybe improves upon the language in, in goodness of God. Uh, great Father of mercies, thy goodness I own, and the covenant love of thy crucified Son. So we see God's mercy. It, it described God as a Father of mercies. And then the goodness is owned. So again, there's going to be no need for rededication, that sort of thing. The goodness is owned. And what is the goodness of God? It's the covenant love of thy crucified Son. So really succinct way to define what God's mercy and goodness is that the believer owns. It's covenant love, So, which again is God's unilateral promise god's unilateral promises kept in christ the crucified son i would recommend a song like uh the love of christ is rich and free fixed on his own eternally or i would recommend something which sounds a little bit counterintuitive because it's about the crucifixion but uh, when i survey the wondrous cross actually because this is the greatest image of god's love that we have seen on earth um and there's that very beautiful poetic line see from his head his hands his feet sorrow and love flow mingled down mm-hmm. um it's it's just it's gorgeous and yeah. reminds us what penalty and cost god's love um cost him what he had to pay for us yeah yeah that's right i mean any any author good author would tell you you don't have your characters say what they think or just sort of you don't just like tell the audience what your characters are feeling you show them Mm -hmm. right and that's a song that's a line which you don't see the word goodness in it but it's 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 right there um in the vivid picture that it paints of christ Mm -hmm. being crucified Mm -hmm. and i don't know why there's not more of that in contemporary Christian worship music. It's the most beautiful, wondrous, wonderful thing. Well, Colin, what's your rating of this song? I give this song two out of five antlers. Antlers. The, the Bethel music icon is like a little ah, like the a moose stag. Thing. Yeah, or is it moose or is it a stag? I do not know. It's something with antlers. Okay. A horned so, beast. You know, it has to, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did you... What did you give it, Tyler? I gave this song two out of five glory clouds. Ah, okay. Have you heard about the glory clouds? No. They popularized this back in 2011. Who's them? Um, the Bethel Music? Bethel, Bethel Church in okay. Redding, California, um, popularized this because on several occasions, um, as they said, 
the glory of God descended on them. The Shekinah glory of God. Like a cloud. Whoa. And it, they put it on YouTube. You can find it right now if you want to. Um, it looks like glitter, but they, they they call it glory clouds. So they are they saying that something super, that's just supernatural glitter? Yes. Okay, but, it, so but, but it's not glitter, Colin. It's okay. It's the presence of Yahweh. Oh my gosh! You should you should Google um, glory clouds. So this is this is like some weird like transubstantiation, but but of glitter. So like <laughs> like it's not glitter. It's the presence. It's the Shekinah glory of God that is coming through in this stuff that we bought at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> trying your hardest not to laugh. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's amazing to me. Uh, either that, or maybe every but all the Bethel people really do believe that that's what happened. Meanwhile, like there's this there's this like seventeen year old kid who, who <laughs> like tossed toss some glitter up. To be honest with you, Colin, I don't know how you could sit in a church, have glitter fall on your head from <laughs> the air conditioning ducts above you. Have the pastor up front say, um, it must be the presence of God, and and not just walk out of the door for how insanely blasphemous that is. Yeah, I choose to laugh at it because I think that's <laughs> I, you, uh, I hope that they're laughing they're not laughing with us, I'm sure, but oh boy. That's good. That's a good reference, Tyler. I'm glad Thanks. that you were able to tell that story. Uh, <laughs> well. thank, thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Worship Review. We will catch you again next time. Thank you. I can't you gotta look it up. That. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.